Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, December 27, 2015, on the basis of Luke 2, verse 21. It's sort of always an interesting phenomenon as December 25th rolls around each year, and we sort of take time to think about and talk about just how blessed we are, just how many blessings God has put in our lives, and just how thankful we are for those blessings. And then within just seven short days, we have a whole big list of all the things that we want to be different, right? This coming Friday, of course, is January 1st, a brand new year, a new start, a new opportunity to get everything in your life exactly the way that you want it to be. So what's on your list this year? What kind of urgent and significant and important things do you hope to accomplish in 2016? Will 2016 be sort of a make or break year when it comes to your health or your career or your education or your finances? Whatever goals those might be, I'm guessing you want to you get started in accomplishing them right away, right? And so whatever those goals might be, you might also have a corresponding list of New Year's resolutions. You don't want to wait until July or October to get started on accomplishing those goals. You want to start right on January 1st, month one, day one. You want to get the new year started off on the right foot. Well, at the risk of letting you down a little bit, I don't know that I can help you out a whole lot with your New Year's resolutions today. In fact, you might remember that that the Christian church has its own calendar, a calendar that was developed and has been used for centuries and centuries. And according to that calendar, the church actually rings in its new year back at the end of November with the first Sunday in Advent. And yet in spite of that fact, this coming Friday, January 1st, is still a very important day for the Christian church. You see, January 1st is the eighth day after December 25th. And as you just heard, on the eighth day of every Jewish male's life, including Jesus' life, two very important things happened. That child was circumcised and that child was named. Now, for most Jewish parents, they had the great joy and the exciting task of doing what most parents do, of picking out a name for their newborn child. If you've ever had that privilege and that exciting task before, you know all of the different things that enter into your mind, right? You want a name that sounds nice. You might want a name that has some history in your family or or some other sort of significance to it. I have to tell you, my better half was always very concerned about avoiding names that later on in life could easily be turned into cruel nicknames by other kids. And apparently I was very good at finding names and liking names that fell into those categories. And so we, were, we had some very interesting discussions when it came time to name our kids, to say the least. But if you've ever had that chance to name a child, you've maybe also sort of had the feeling that, that this one important decision will sort of set the direction for the rest of that child's life. That what you decide to name the child will sort of set the tone for the kind of life he or she is going to have. As we're going to find out in a minute, that was was precisely true 
of Jesus. And yet, as Mary and Joseph were expecting Mary to have this son, you wouldn't have found them standing around talking about baby names. You wouldn't have seen them looking through baby name books or checking the family records to see what kind of names might have special meaning for them. No, not only were they told what to name this child, they were told why. In those words from Matthew, you heard the angel tell them, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know, I think whether people realize it or not, they often see and, and sort of try and tap into this important connection between December 25th and January 1st. December 25th, the day when God gives us the gift of his son, January 1st, a brand new year, time to make everything in our lives exactly the way that we want it to be. And as people set out to accomplish those New Year's resolutions, they often want to make use of the gift that God gave on December 25th. They want Jesus' help. They want Jesus' direction. And so if one of my goals, for example, for 2016 is improved health. Maybe I will hope and I will pray to Jesus that he will heal me. If one of my goals for 2016 is to get a promotion or get a raise, I might hope and pray that Jesus will provide that. If one of my goals for 2016 is to experience calm after all of the storms of 2015, then I will hope and I'll pray to Jesus that he will do that for me. Do you think Jesus can do those things? Well, of course he can. Will he? It's sort of beside the point, isn't it? You see, when it comes to Jesus, the key question to be asking is not so much what could he do for me, what might he do for me, but what did he come to do for me? What does he do best? Let's imagine for a moment that for Christmas, you got a brand new iPad. Wonderful gift, right? Could you use that iPad to prop up one of the legs on your kitchen table so that it doesn't wobble anymore? Well, sure you could. And would it work? Yeah, it probably would. But I think you would agree that's not exactly the best way to use that gift. That's not the best thing that that gift can be used for. And so when it comes to Jesus... It's important to remember, what does it do? Why did God give the gift of his son? What did Jesus come to do? What does he do best? And first and foremost, Jesus is not simply a healer of all our diseases. Not yet, at least. One day, he certainly, he certainly will. First and foremost, Jesus is not like a big vending machine up in the sky who just dispenses the blessings that we want as long as we make sure we're pressing all of the right buttons. No, Jesus isn't either of those things. And it's not because Jesus is something less than that. It's because Jesus is something so much more than that. He's our Savior. Jesus came to pay for our sins. Jesus came to take that inescapable and incurable burden of guilt that was hanging over us like a dark cloud and remove it forever. Jesus came to to defeat our last and greatest enemy of death. He came to give us a free pass to eternal life. He came to do all of those things. I think you'd agree so much more than what we sometimes ask him to do, not less. 
and a lot to expect out of an eight-day-old baby. Wouldn't you agree? It's funny how sometimes parents get a little bit caught up, maybe especially with their first child, about the expectations that they have for their children. It's funny that right now in our country, three baby boy names that are rising in popularity faster than any other are Major, King, and Messiah. Talk about some high expectations for your kids, right? Can you imagine growing up with a name like that, trying to live up to those sort of expectations and live underneath that pressure? Well, imagine if as an eight-day-old baby, you're given the name Jesus, Savior of the world. Do you think he can really live up to those expectations? Well, as I mentioned before, in addition to being named on the eighth day, something else very important happened to all Jewish males, including Jesus. On that eighth day, they were also circumcised. Now, circumcision was something that God had established and actually expected of every Jewish male child going all the way back from Old Testament times, from the time of Abraham. And different people have different theories over why God established that specific ceremony. But but one thing is clear. It was a sign. It was an outward symbol of the fact that mankind's relationship with God had been broken because of sin. And that mankind needed a loving and forgiving God in order for that relationship to be restored. In other words, circumcision wasn't something that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, needed to do. And so by going through circumcision anyway, Jesus made it very clear exactly the type of Savior he came to be. It's sort of interesting that as much as sometimes people view Jesus as maybe their healer or their provider or their protector, sometimes people have the view of Jesus that his main job is to help us be better people, to inform us on how he wants us to live, to demonstrate to us how we should love others, to inspire us to be kinder and more patient with the people around us. And again, we might ask, well, can Jesus do those things? Yeah, Will he? Again, that's sort of beside the point. Because again, the key important question to ask is, what did he come to do? What does he do best? Imagine you get that iPad for Christmas, and you're way too smart to use it to prop up the leg under your wobbly kitchen table. But you find out that this iPad can actually help you check the weather. And so you decide that's what you're going to use it for. Every single day you use your iPad to check the weather. And so every single morning you walk over to the front door, open it up, hold the iPad out, count to 10, and then pull it back in. If it's all wet, you assume that it's raining outside. If it's covered in in white flakes, you assume that it's snowing. If it gets blown out of your hand, you assume that it's windy. Are you using the iPad for what it's for? I suppose. But you're doing it all wrong, right? So as people think about Jesus as someone who informs us or demonstrates for us or inspires us to live a certain way, really they're sort of saying that Jesus is our Savior by teaching me how to be my own Savior. 
As we think about Jesus being our Savior, he's not the kind of Savior who, who gives us this big, exciting pep talk and then says, okay, you go out there and give it your best shot. He's not the kind of Savior who demonstrates how to do something and then says, here, now you try. No, he's the kind of Savior who simply does it for us. He's the kind of Savior who came to do all of the things that God expected us to do, only to do them right. He's the kind of Savior who came to suffer all of the things that you and I deserved to suffer for the way we had done them wrong. Jesus came to be our Savior by being our substitute, by taking our place. And already on the eighth day of his life, his first day with that name Jesus, his first day on the job, Jesus shows that he is perfectly up to the task. You know, it's sort of interesting that as people think about their New Year's resolutions, they, they expect and they hope to have the help of the gift that God gave at Christmas. And I can think of no better thing to do, provided that we know exactly what that gift is for and exactly what that gift does. You see, because of the gift that God gave at Christmas, it means that in 2016, there's really nothing that can truly be called urgent or important or significant in our lives that is yet to be done. Because everything that can truly be called urgent and important and significant has already been done for us by our Savior Jesus. And so his name is the perfect sound to have in our minds, to have on our hearts, not only as we look back at 2015, but as we look ahead and get 2016 started off on the right foot. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.